everyone, and welcome back to Operation History, a podcast where history is more than what you remember. Tonight, the digital table is half full. You know who's here. We've got David. Hello, everybody. And of course, me, Lauren. Uh, Maria and Derek hopefully will finish their schoolwork and be back soon. This month, we are going to be talking about the history of glass blowing. One of my favorite things to watch on TikTok and Instagram reels. Uh, so without further ado, um, we'll start with you, David. Take it away. Yeah, so um, I've recently become more involved in glass blowing, really enjoying it more. And so I was like, hey, what is actually the history of glass blowing? And so that kind of what inspired this month's episode. Um for those who didn't know, glass blowing is a super ancient form of art, one of the oldest forms of art, which started in the first century. So like zero, 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 one sort of centuries, kind of the moniker that we're looking at. Um, and geographically, it doesn't start in Europe, it doesn't start in Asia, but it starts in the Middle East and in parts of North Africa. So along the Syrian, Lebanon, and Israeli coast, which is, I'm using the modern day monikers, those weren't all there originally. Um, that's where the first artifacts of glass blowing dates back to. The first ancient empire to actually use them is to use glass blowing is the Panetokines. I just totally butchered that. There's going to be an ancient historian out there who's going to throttle me when they see me. Um, but they're the first ones. And that empire has some connections to Greece. There were a lot of Greek immigrants who went towards Europe in North Africa and the Middle East, especially during the imperial their imperial phase. After that, though, it's the Romans and the Egyptians who kind of carry the torch, so to speak and make it empire-wide. Um, I know, Lauren, you said you had a little bit more on the Roman stuff, so if you want to take that part away for a little bit before I get into the logistics of the actual workshops. Yeah, sure. And um, I just love that, you know, we're referring to it as an art because it really is. I mean, these days you can get, like, a dollar store glasses, but back then, and if you're doing it right today it's an art form it's a trade um so looking at the romans i just thought it was pretty interesting um because as someone who is from or working at a facility that's kind of um bringing back to life i guess almost like a lost art so i work at a corn grinding mill grist mill and so just looking back and seeing um you know, where these dying arts come from, uh, because with modern machinery, which we won't get into too much today, if anyone is curious about it, we would love to talk about anything modern that used to be this old way of doing things. Uh, we'd be happy to talk about it. Um, but just hearing and reading about the Romans, and then, of course, the Romans do what Rome does and they see someone doing something they start doing it and as Rome does what they do which is go a lot of places they bring that technology with them and as I was reading about it I was really comparing it to grist mills um honestly I mean that's a whole different I could talk about this all day so I will keep the short and sweet but just like in Lebanon in 
you know, in kind of more um, the Middle Eastern side of things where things like glass blowing and grist mills originate. It's interesting to see then how it's embraced by, you know, the West through, you know, Rome doing what Rome does. Um, I just thought that was kind of interesting and how these are just so absolutely sophisticated works. I kind of am looking as we're talking at some of this work that these days we may see as, um, you know, simple, but as I'm sure you're going to go into David, the actual process of doing this is difficult. It's a trade. It's something that not everyone can just pick up and do. Like at my job, someone told me once, you know, any third grader could run a mill. Um, I'm sure people thought any, you know, anybody could do this technique, but it's really a interesting and complex, you know, trade. That was my soapbox about Rome for half a second. And, but that was, you know, and that was the thing, the, the Roman empire, especially towards it, its height, its climax, it had the money to spend on these things. You know, the cooler yourself looked, the more status you had, that was part of it. Also you could afford, especially in that middle and upper class, you could afford fancy things like this. Um, and so that's really when it becomes a status symbol, especially the carvings put into it. But also that's kind of it today, too. You can tell kind of an, a piece that's made in a factory or one that's done by hand by the way it looks, the imperfections in it. And that's a huge part of it. And I have done glass blowing. I've made two pieces. If you look at my Twitter, I'm not calling it X because that's stupid. I'm going to call it Twitter. Uh, if you look at my Twitter, there is two hints. Uh, both those of those hints I handmade. Um, and it's very tiring work. And the fact that people can stand in front of a 110 to 120 degree furnace all day and make multiple pieces is phenomenal. Um, a glass blowing workshop is not a small space. It's a huge space. And that's because they use three different furnaces all at the same time in various pieces of equipment. On a side note, I am going to mention one funny word. I know get it out now. Just you're, giggle now. You're going to giggle at it. Just it's not in a weird way. It's literally what one of the furnaces is called. So you will know the word when I say it. Um, the first main furnace uh, holds all the molten glass. Glass is not solidified. It is hot. It's about 100 degrees, and it's called silica. Uh, silica has multiple components. It's sand. It's other components to help give it shape and hardness. When it's hotter, the more mendable and fluid it is. It's only once you take it out into the cold that it starts to kind of come all together so if you ever watch things like blown away they're throwing it in the heat and taking it out so that way they can make it more adaptable the second furnace is called a glory hole it has a hole and a big hole uh depending on the size of the piece and it's again used to reheat the glass when the temperature starts to drop um so again they'll put it on their on their little stick their pulley Put it into the heat, rotate it around a uh, height length, height um, 
mid height and rotated evenly. So that way it keeps its shape. Then when they're all done, they put it in what's called an annealer in order to control the coolness of it because you don't want glass to cool too quickly um, because it shatters and it breaks and you don't want all that work to go to waste. Um, So along with that, on top of the furnaces you need, you also need to house the tools like the pipes, the jacks, the spears, the pontails, the tweezers, which all have important roles in making glassware. And when I'm talking glassware, I mean the small little Christmas ornament you have to the giant glass sculptures that you'll see in some museums. All that takes time. All that takes the right tools. And it takes the right people to make that too. Again, it's 115 degree furnaces. And think of the outside temperature, especially the way weather patterns are going today. If it's 100 degrees already outside, and your workshop, which is big, but you have these giant furnaces projecting heat, and it's 115 degrees inside too. Wherever you go, it's gonna you're gonna be sweating profusely. It reminds me of bakery. Like I've been into um, bakeries, you know, with the giant brick ovens. I mean, it's 80 degrees outside, it's 100 degrees inside, and your it's just even, you know, more. Like, you have to, well, A, you have to know what you're doing. B, you have to be safe. But it takes a special kind of person to be able to withstand that kind of stuff. And it takes years of, it takes years of training. And from what I understand from the conversation I had with a few glass blowers here and there, it's still very much an apprenticeship sort Mm -hmm. of mentality and style where you spend years upon years crafting it. So it's not even an easy thing to get into. You can't just walk in to a glass blowing center and just immediately start knowing what to do. There's a lot of safety that goes into it. I know when me and the lady front were making our glass pieces, there was a lot of safety that went into it and for for good reason. Right. I um, couldn't walk in and know what's going on. And it's very similar in the milling world. Um and yeah, like if I allowed you to come into our mill and immediately start screwing around with stuff and like moving things, that'd be irresponsible and dangerous. As someone who's like not even apprentice level, I just kind of know how a mill works. <laughs> I'm afraid of it when I'm by myself, you know? <laughs> um, and I think it's the same probably with glass blowing. You have to have a level of respect and in that, you know, not fear has been like I... But you have to have a level of respect for the technology and the equipment so that you're not just being cocky and, you know, you really hurt yourself. Right. After the ancient empire era comes to a close in the Middle Ages, begins to really start up, glassblowing doesn't take a side seat, but it's concentrating on one area, and that is in uh, Venice. So this is a time when Venetian glass really starts to develop because Venice has the sole market in Europe on producing glass. All the best glass blowers are there, one. And two, Italy makes laws that restrict glass blowers to an island off the coast. And <laughs> if they leave, they're either under arrest or they're killed because the Ven- the Venetians do not want this technology, glass styles, 
leaving and going to different places in Europe. That's one way to keep um, your trade secrets close to your chest. <laughs> well, I mean, this is also everyone else does this. I mean, the British do this when it comes to their industrial revolution. Oh, absolutely. We even see um, with textile mills, um, Samuel Slater, um, he literally just memorizes the blueprints because they don't trust him to actually look at them or, you know, keep them, make copies of them. Um. It's also during this time that different glass styles develop. So Cristallo and other major glasswares are made using a new technique technique called the mold blow technique, which is using different molds to help in creating a not singular, but a near perfect replica of the pieces that they're making. Um, glass blowing, unless you're using a mold, it, there are imperfections there, especially when you're trying to make the same piece multiple times mistakes take happen so using molds is meant to minimize that naturally laws don't always hold inventors back and the secrets of glass blowing kind of get out um and they spread to different places like china japan eventually they make their way to the american colonies jamestown becomes sort of glass blowing central for the british so Glass isn't something minute. There is a, a power behind it. There is a status. And also they're super durable. They're efficient to use. So it's not even just a cool look. It's if I have this, I can store things. So even if a farmer, what may have you. So they're practical to carry around. Um, I was just going to say, you know, I like you know i took my own horn about my abilities to know things about colonial history not so much jamestown i before you know we started recording i did not know that at all i only knew I, like the gory side of it i guess well and that's the you know and that's the thing every every place has its own niche or reason why it's created and then the events that happen after kind of shadow the original contents behind right especially when there. certain things happen um yeah or as industries that that town was made for start to fade away which we're not going to get too much in here but yeah if anyone ever wants to talk about ghost towns and stuff like that that are created or form because of this kind of stuff call us um but only that glass blowing now is not really a it is an artist. It is an artisan craft. But with the amount of glass we use today for things like glasses, the fiber optics for your TV, for your internet, cell phones, the, the screen that it's made out of glass, right? In our consumer world, and as the consumer world develops, you need those items faster and quicker, which sometimes outpaces what a artisan can do um so that gets kind of into the factory model so we move from handmade to factory eventually which is again a totally different story for a totally different time um but glassware which we use every day there's not a day you go by without looking at something that is made and there's a history behind why it's made or the properties that make it up um 
so yeah, that's the unique story that I thought was, you know, good for this month. Yeah, absolutely. And as someone with glasses, I physically cannot go anywhere without seeing (laughs) Um, glass. Um, I cannot see without glass. Um, And yeah, it's just, I don't know, man, those like old arts, like those old trades, they just get me every time. Because I work in a mill and I often talk about old things. Um, But if anyone ever goes to Norway, um, they have the, I'm so sorry to anyone in Scandinavia, um, Ostetangen Museum in Hoxund, Norway. Um, they show how glass was made according to ancient traditions. In the United States, I believe it's in New York, they have the Coney yeah. Museum of Glass. Uh, I've thought of going there during the summer, but the summer just got way, mm-hmm. it ended way quicker than I thought it was going to. So that's yeah, on the bucket list. Possible. But um, another cool way of seeing how glass is made, I mentioned it in the show. There's a show called Blown Away on Netflix. So if you have Netflix, you go ahead and check it out. It's kind of like Incubaster without all the drama. And the glassware that is made is absolutely beautiful. So if you have not heard it or you want are interested to see the process, that's another way. Another thing that I recommend is take a glass blowing class. You can make that's your like own a lot of fun. And it it is. Um the lady friend and me went. It was just us two. We went to a class. We made, I think I made a bowl for ice cream. And it's it's pretty fun. And it is a whole different way at looking at how glass is made and even then when you start recognizing the talents it makes to make these products it's a whole it's a whole different way of looking at things i and i also just like we kind of skipped over the whole factory part which we can talk about later but i love seeing shows like that um and watching people online doing it the resurgence of doing it you know, the old fashioned way, doing it the way that it was, you know, meant to be done. It was created this way. Um, and it's not about getting it done in a quick amount of time and doing a whole lot. It's about just taking a step back and doing it well and doing it right. And I see that too with um, like candy making, like there's some places with old fashioned candy making videos. And I, I just think it's really and of course, I keep on talking about milling because for some reason my brain's making that connection. It's probably because I was at work today. Um, but yeah, like people are going back to using millstones to grind their flour because people are really concerned about where they get things that they put into their bodies or use to put into their bodies. Well, not only that, I think there's this nostalgia to using those old ways right. too. The olden days. Mm. Our bodies are craving doing something with our hands. Oh, and that's that's part of human nature is using hands in order to make a product or using hands in order to get energy out or to be productive with hands. Right. We were not built to be podcast people. We were meant to get molten rock and make pretty things. 
Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED talk. This is Lauren saying, maybe she's right. <laughs> Before we get to our closing, I just want to take a quick moment to say school has now just begun for everyone. So if you're in high school, because this is more of a high school, college level core, uh, course, course. <laughs> podcast, um, you know, good luck. Hope the year is great for you. I hope your semester is great. Make sure you yes. study. Make sure study, you drink lots of water. Be safe. Drink, drink lots of water. Make sure you take time for yourself as well. Things get overwhelming. And that's okay. That's all part of life. Just make sure you make time for you. Um, and for all the teachers out there, for whatever college, public, charter, you got this. No matter, no matter what people tell you. You are valued. Your job is important, despite what anyone may say. You're doing a great and, job. And despite Keep doing what, what you're doing. And despite what your evaluation may say also. Um, Test scores are irrelevant. <laughs> so anyways, on that note, thank you all very much for tuning into this episode. We really appreciate it. In September, we're going to have another Q&A. We are hitting three years. This pod oh my is God. three years old. I can't believe it's already walking. Um, next thing you know we're gonna have to start getting start considering a college fund for it oh god um and in order to support that (laughs) we appreciate (laughs) you listeners we we appreciate all the support we receive please continue to rate download review subscribe to the show wherever you get your pods um leave comments email us and we'll get back and we appreciate all the love so to interact with us, you can do that a couple different ways. You can either reach us on Twitter or for some of you, X, whatever, uh, whatever fits your fancy. Uh, we are on Instagram. We're also on Facebook at Operation Hist. You can also shoot us an email at Operation History Podcast at gmail.com. Along with that, we have a little WordPress, Operation History Podcast, period, WordPress.com. All the sources for this show, along with the notes for this episode, will be uploaded with this episode. There's a lot more scientific articles in here, and that's because the science stuff connects with the historical stuff. So if you see more sciencey stuff, it does fit into the whole flow of things. Yes, I hope you like it. And again, science is pretty cool, especially when it's used for historical stuff. So on that note... Thank you all for joining us. And this is Operation History signing off. Do, 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 do,